From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MVW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in, but why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome to this Thursday edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. Chase Parm, Neil McCready, Clark Ford Studio this morning. A trio of guests for you. Guest-heavy podcast. Pretty much all guests today as we are joined uh, for the first time by Ole Miss head football coach Lane Kiffin. He'll uh, he'll lead it off today. We uh, talked to Lane about, well, some football stuff, but Valentine's Day, Kobe Bryant, fishing. You know, all the hard-hitting topics that you typically get from the Oxford Exxon Podcast. We'll start with Lane. Here in a few minutes, we're going to talk to Jeffrey Wright, as we do most Thursdays. Uh, Lindsey Graham bumped him last week, but uh, we'll get him back today. We talk uh, some basketball. We talk uh, some baseball. We talk a lot of stuff with uh, with, with Jeffrey today over a, a segment, 20 minutes or so. We also talked to Blake Lavelle, a Blue Ribbon yearbook, college basketball, obviously the topic there. He also has the podcast Marching to Madness. So those are your guests today as we uh, get started on the podcast, brought to you here single day by the Oxford Exxon Highway 6 West in Oxford, Daiquiri's lunch specials coming to town this weekend for baseball. Stop on in, refill there with the uh, the Oxford Exxon. You get great gas prices with the Speed Pass Plus app, the Mobile Rewards program, and more. And uh, if you went to the basketball game, you still haven't used it as a uh, coupon for the Oxford Crystal. Take advantage of that with a one fifty off a steamer pack or a sack full there with the Oxford Crystal. And again, coming to you from the Clark Ford Studio. We are Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi. Six six two two five seven nineteen hundred is the number. Call it. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes and business hours. That's the basic stuff. Here's what you need to know about Clark Ford is that they're when they talk about building a relationship, they really mean it. They take care of customers long after you roll off the lot in your vehicle. It's uh, what Corey wants to do. I say it all the time. He wants to be your car guy. He wants to be your truck guy. He'll prove that to you. You can start the relationship by just calling and asking for a quote. You'll start to see what I mean. 662 662- Two five seven nineteen hundred. Lane Kiffin, Blake Lavelle, Jeffrey Wright, all join us today on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline uh, tonight. It's a seltzer party featuring three dollar White Claws, Trulies, and Naturals. It's all night, and then tomorrow, of course, it's Valentine's Day, the baseball season opener as well. Rafters opens for lunch at eleven a.m. Specials include. Frozen strawberry daiquiris garnished with Valentine sprinkles and fresh strawberries. Perfect for your sweetheart. You can also enjoy a uh, Rafters Bloody Mary and the best po'boys on the square served on Leidenheimer, New Orleans French bread. The party continues Friday night featuring dueling DJs. And then on Saturday at Rafters, it opens at 11. Uh, uh, Ole Miss Kentucky basketball at 1 on the screens. They'll also have Ole Miss Louisville baseball at 1.30 on the screens. Drink specials include $3 domestics until 8 p.m. And then on Sunday, it's brunch beginning at 10.45 featuring homemade biscuits and chicken and waffles, live bluegrass music by Grassfire, and then party on with the famous $2 mimosas there at Rafters on the Square in Oxford. As uh, Neil mentioned, baseball gets Louisville tomorrow. Obviously, I have coverage of that. The uh, Hello from Home series continues today with uh, Kate Sammons, his father Jason, with the, uh, the letter to him. He'll play he'll play outfield for Ole Miss this weekend. I would assume starting tomorrow against Miller for Louisville because he is right-handed, not left-handed. But we'll uh, we'll get into Louisville a little bit on the site as uh, tomorrow afternoon gets here. A lot of other content as well. Um, 
Therefore, you add rebelgrove.com. I was just looking up something about Reed Detmers right now. The uh, the Louisville ace, who uh, was ranked number two in the country by D1Baseball.com yesterday. I uh, saw the list, and it was kind of startling. They ranked the top Division One pitchers in the country. Ole Miss comes in twice in the top 30 with Doug Nikhazy at 23. And Gunnar Hoagland at 30, one of four teams that had two uh, two pitchers in the top 30, along with Vanderbilt, Georgia, and Louisville. Oh, obviously, Ole Miss plays all three of those teams this season. Ole Miss faces the top four pitchers in the country in the preseason ranking, including seven of the top 10 as well. Um, there and two of the top 22 um, with this weekend is uh, Miller with 21 or 22. So, it's a tough road. Always is, but a little tougher than usual for Ole Miss. This, no, it's uh, a lot tougher than usual this year. The schedule's... Schedule gives them no favor. You could argue it. There's a three win difference given the schedule, considering you don't play Kentucky, Tennessee, and Missouri combined, and you play the other ones out of the the East as well. The good news on that for them is that their, you, whatever it's RPI or net or whatever they they yeah, use, with, the tool will be quite good. And 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 yeah, their and, numbers should be really good if they can just hang in and win enough. I think that the, would probably make up for two losses. The number itself. I know as Neil said yesterday, you've been a little two by two this week, but it does appear the rain is getting out tomorrow, and they should be at least at least good for the first two, and maybe all three. It looks like uh, this weekend. I it's just your daily right. weather it's report. Be cold out there. Tomorrow. Well, it isn't be cold, but um, I asked Derek Diamond about that on Tuesday. I said you you pitched in a lot of cold weather. Doesn't really seem to be your thing from out there. And he says, well, you know, we kind of made the joke about the marine layer that I ran into in Long Beach, but. He said even in the fall when they played Memphis in that in that inter, in that scrimmage or whatever that it was like thirty four degrees or whatever in November or late October. He's like so it. He said that it's it's really not a big deal. He said he, you know most most pitchers have a hard time with the ball feeling it. He said he actually has no difference as far as actually feeling the ball. It's just getting warm, understanding some routine, being comfortable with it, going out there to begin with is more the uh, the, the the challenge that he'll face on Sunday in his his opinion. One of the coldest baseball games I've ever been to at night was in Anaheim. You can get cold. I told you I froze to death at Long Beach at Blair Field that night. Yeah, it gets so that Friday night they didn't have anything blocking the wind, and it was actually raining. It rained out that night. We were just waiting on them to call it, and I mean frozen, frozen. Yeah, he's he's pitched in cold before. Yeah, I mean that won't be the end of the world, and he's pitching Sunday. He's pitching Sunday. It's actually not going to be that cold Sunday. Doug's got the coldest day. Yeah, yeah. It'll be, I mean, if, if the weather holds, Sunday will be okay. It'll be in the upper 50s, I think. That's not a big deal. We get this in every sport. This isn't new, but I just found it interesting. I was looking up some video on Detmers to do with something on the site later. And, uh, you know, he's going to be a top 10 pick in June, left-handed, throws into the mid-90s. He, uh, out of high school, he was not even the top left-handed pitcher in Illinois. He's from Illinois. Um, so he, was. he is, I don't know, he no. just, his rankings say uh, number three overall in the state of Illinois, the number two left-handed pitcher. In the state of Illinois, he um, had a 190 national uh, national ranking coming out of high school. It's worked out for yeah. for, for, for for Mr. Detmers. Yeah, he's gonna be okay. He's uh, let's see, let me try. And that's the thing. Um, tomorrow it's gonna be cold for both pitchers. It's gonna be cold for all the hitters, not just half the hitters. And it's not like this guy's chopped liver. The number one guy was um, Brendan Murphy, who's been who was taken in the fourth round by the Brewers in 2017. So they had a couple arms there. Here's hoping he either gets traded or it doesn't work out. <laughs> you know nothing about Mr. Murphy, but let's just hope that's you not just on the said Brewers. Trips. And I said, well, <laughs> he can get traded to the Mariners, and I'll say, good for you, son. 
lot of buzz today, by the way, and we won't spend six seconds on it, but a lot of buzz today that this Nolan Arenado, Chris Bryant talk is legitimate. Oh, really? Yeah. You'll follow a minute of that. Pretty interesting. Makes a lot of sense when you get past the shock value of it. Which is a, it, that is part of it, though, getting past the shock value of it. Everybody getting comfortable with that. Yeah. People dismiss it as, ah, oh, I just know. Apparently it apparently it makes a lot of sense for everybody. Yeah. Colorado has to move him, and if the Cubs can't sign Bryant to a long-term deal, and I don't know that Boris is going to let them, if they can't, you have to move him. Well, uh, we'll go to Lane Kiffin here in one second on the podcast. Again, I had about 15 minutes with Lane. We used the majority of it, I think, pretty close to that. So you get uh, for the first time Lane Kiffin here on the Oxford Exxon podcast. Lane Kiffin joins us here on the podcast. Uh, Coach, thanks for the time. Really appreciate it. You got it. Thanks for having me. This is our uh, our last podcast before Valentine's Day. I'll, I'll start with this one. We're going to we'll get to some football stuff in a minute. We'll have, I'd like to have, just have a little fun first. It, it, is your opinion, is Valentine's Day it's an okay holiday? Is it sort of a, something you just kind of have to go through? Is it just a hallmark holiday, or is it an absolute nuisance to, uh, to, to man? <clears throat> I actually um, had a really good friend, a couple of still married, been married forever, and they actually had a deal, which I always thought was a great deal. It was They said, all right, we're going to do it, but we'll do it at a different day during the week. Because if you go that day, every place is packed, takes forever to get in, you know, parking, all that. So, you know, they said they'd do it. You know, they'd, they'd still have their night, you know, change a present, go to dinner or whatever, but do it on a different day so that, you know, it wasn't so packed. Because why has it got to be that day? Why can't it be the day before or the day after? So, um that's kind of my, my thought on it, but I, I tried that, but ex-wife that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, n- nobody likes those pre- those prefix menus and stuff. You'd like to order the, off the regular menu, right? Yeah, and everything is packed, and it takes forever, and you're waiting to get a table, all that, versus just go on Tuesday night or whatever. Yeah, and it always feels like there's so much of the pressure that you got to do it on the 14th, and especially now with like Twitter and Instagram and stuff, so that they can get the picture and put out the tweet or whatever that says, "See, I got roses, whether you got roses or not." It just feels like it's on a, kind of a competition. I, it, it it rubs me the wrong way. I'm I'd, I'd be far more in favor of February the 10th than I would February the 14th or February the 9th or the 22nd, whatever. I'm with you on that. Um, yeah, you're right, especially now that's generation now i'm sure that is it's you know it's not as much about the experience about the picture and you know with the gift in hand so look what i got you know speaking of i know when you're and you hadn't had a lot of time to be out and about in oxford but obviously you're a celebrity here now when you were in miami and maybe even in la as well were you able to enjoy a little more anonymity in big markets like that where obviously people may know who you are but they're used to seeing quote stars in quote if you will on a more regular basis yeah, i mean there's good and bad to everything and so you know one of the things about when you're in bigger cities like that you know you don't you don't you know you don't deal with any of that and and there's good too because obviously you know the tennessee's alabama's old miss like you know the people are so passionate and then they want to come up and talk to you and, and so you know that's awesome um but at the same time, sometimes, you know, you can't get from A to B, you know, when you need to, um, where Fort Lauderdale, Miami, L.A., you know, um, those cities, you know, um, 
people barely recognize you, and if they do, it's just kind of a, a thing they don't they don't go up and say anything, you know. So, um, very different places. I wanted to ask you a little bit about L.A. because I, I haven't I've seen a lot of people comment on the death of Kobe Bryant. I haven't seen you comment on it, and if you have, forgive me for missing it. But you were out there in L.A. both as an assistant and a head coach when he, that was that was Kobe Bryant's town. What what do you did you ever get a chance to meet him? I guess we'll start there. Well, this sounds bad, but um, I do. I remember meeting him, but I don't think I really spent a lot of time with him or whatever. I just think we were at a couple of different events or something like that. So I don't have a story about that or anything. But, um, you know, he was always around, um, you know, very, you know, which is unusual, you know, to be a star like he was, you know. Um, you know, always when people talked about him, not now, I'm saying, you know, at the time, because everybody afterwards, you know, kind of, just says something positive, but at the time, people always talked about how he how he took time. You know, he took time to help others. Um, you know, and which is a lot of times people do as they get older, but they certainly don't do it. You know, during their run of greatness in their twenties and thirties, and and he was always doing that. What was your reaction when you found out about the accident? I mean, he's one of those people that was. You know, so impactful during such a long run there in Los Angeles with the Lakers and everybody who follows sports knew, knew about him, whether you were into basketball or any other sport. It, it's been sort of amazing to see how, how much of a profound impact his death has had on people. I'm just kind of curious when you heard about it, what you what you thought, what you felt. Um, I really didn't believe it. Someone put it on a group text, you know, like right when it came out and it was TMZ or whatever. And, and so I said, okay, fake news, you know, and so – um, it really just, it's one of those that you just don't think, you know, here's this, you know, superhero that's doing so much for so many people and he's got the four kids and, you know, there's no way that really happened. You know, it's just one of those things you can't explain. Um, someone was in here and I always try to, you know, find the good and the bad, you know, um, like I said earlier, there's always, you know, something that happens, something good can come from it. And so the only thing I was trying to tell someone was, you know, that day, I think, you know, millions of people, you know, may have, may have repaired relationships, you know, because it was one of those, like, man, am I, am I really upset with this person because this thing happened? Look, you know, Kobe's gone, you know, and his daughter, and, you know, you know how petty are some things going on, you know, in my life, you know, with other people, and so, and or whether it was parents with a, with a kid, you know, hugging their kid that maybe they'd been distanced from for a little bit or something, so I bet there was a lot of that going on. So we always talked about is you, you can't always relate to athletes from their celebrity or those things, but we all know about being dads and coaching travel ball teams and everything. There's, it's one of the ways that that tragedy just kind of connected everybody a little bit, wasn't it? Yeah, it is, I mean, it just was so bad, too, because you're going, all right, hey, you know, these other lives are lost, and, and Kobe's just trying to help people, where a lot of people, you know, in Kobe's status, Kobe's money, everything, wouldn't be putting other people on there, you know, just be – you know, for convenience, him and his daughter going, you know, but that just, again, shows him helping others out. <clears throat> Switch to football a little bit. A lot, of, a lot of Twitter buzz about Mel Tucker taking the Michigan State job. Um, so late in the process, obviously. We know why he did it, offered him a ton of money and all these different things. Where did you fall on kids at Colorado, what their options should be? If I told you to put the NCAA hat on, what should, what, what should be the rule as far as them potentially getting out or staying at Colorado if they so chose? I think um, I think the kids kids should definitely be able to get out. I think if you have, 
you know, a head coaching change after you signed some paper, you know, after you signed, obviously a big reason why you're going there was that, you know, same with this early signing period, you know, for instance, you know, like the, the Mississippi State kids, you know, for a change after you already signed, you should be able to get out. I mean, that doesn't, you know, everything is supposed to be in the best interest of the kids, of the student-athlete, and locking them into that certainly isn't. What do you think of the early signing period? I've, I, kind of hearing you talk about it a little, it, it, you seem to be maybe, I'm putting words in your mouth and I apologize, it seems to be you're in the camp that you're not sure this is the best thing in the world, yet it kind of feels like this early signing period is here to stay. I think it's here to stay. I mean, I, I think that a lot of, <clears throat> there are a lot of positives. You know, it does clean up the board. It does kind of, you know, <clears throat> make make schools that kind of have, you know, offers out there that aren't real offers kind of makes them have to do something, you know, because they got to send papers or not, and they got to sign kids, you know. And so, um, you know, I think it, and I think it helps smaller schools, you know, where I was at before, where Atlantic, you know, really liked it because it just cleaned up the board, and so you knew who was really left. And most of the big schools were basically almost done, so the rest was kind of for you to to find out about. Now, what I what's not good is if you just got a job, you know, your first year is almost. You know, you know, it's almost like, you know, coaches need an extra year to rebuild a program now because your first year to get a job and try to sign kids in a week or two, you know, and sign a great class is pretty much impossible with the, with that time frame. So, um, you know, it kind of makes it harder now going through it than before to, you know, flip a program. Now that you've got a full year, do you try to get the the meat of your recruiting done by the, say the end of the summer? I mean, how kind of what's your approach to how you fill up your class? Well, again, that's part of it too. Of that first year, you know, being almost gone because you know the kids officially visit in the spring now. You know, they can come in the spring, and so you know they it's just so far ahead. You know, it's almost like a half a year ahead of what you're used to. So. Um, you know, where we have to focus on it every day, um, you know, especially on this class because, you know, going short in this last class, leaving some spots, you know, this class will be a huge part and, and probably the biggest thing about, you know, bringing Ole Miss football back will be this class coming up. You got spring football starting in, I guess, about a month, month and a half or so. What, what do you try to get done in that first spring? Is it, is it unrealistic to say, hey, this is where we're going to start to establish culture and all that stuff when you're also trying to put in systems and, and all of that? I mean, what do you just try to get done in that month? No, we're doing all that. Um, I mean, we're already doing that. You know, fourth quarter um, conditioning and workouts started yesterday. Um, you know, first time we've been, you know, our strength staff's been with them, but it's the first time we've been with them. Um, so, you know, that's a lot about, you know, discipline, toughness, mentality, you know, um, the mental part of the game and coming together as a team, too. So that's already in progress. The uh, I know some people in the media, there was a list, ESPN put out a list yesterday, uh, 12 most compelling games for next season. Ole Miss is on it twice. I dare say a lot of that is because of you. When they play up this Lane Kiffin versus Nick Saban rivalry as kind of must-see TV starting next season when obviously he's had a pretty established program and you're in the year one of a rebuild, is do you, do you like that? Do you kind of 
does it kind of make you shiver a little bit? I mean, it's because it's, it's putting a target on your back in a game where, I mean, I, I, you're probably going to go in at least, uh, you know, from an odds maker standpoint as a bit of an underdog. Um, I mean, it is what it is. You know, I joked yesterday on Twitter with Feinbaum, you know, about, you know, saying he's going to be the first coach, you know, that worked for him to beat him, you know, and putting rat poison out there. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, we're, we're not focused on the Alabama game. I mean, we we got so much to do in the program and, you know, um, you know, whenever there's a coaching change where the previous staff's fired, it's, you know, usually because they're not winning enough games and, and so have to to come in and, and, you know, fix the program. So that's what we have to do, and that's not going to happen overnight, um, you know, especially in the West. So, you know, it'll take some time. And like I said, you know, not to <clears throat> not be positive, but, you know, that first year in recruiting, much different than, you know, we went to Tennessee, signed a top 10 class. We went to USC, I think, signed the number one class in the country, you know, in the first class, and we were hired much later than this. But, again, there was no early signing period. So, um, <clears throat> you know, it's going to take a little time here. I know you're really into deep sea fishing, uh, and obviously that was pretty easy to do when you're out there in, in Boca. Now that you're here, when you can't head off to uh, – to, to go to the ocean or what? Can you can you scratch the itch enough when you're like with lakes and ponds and stuff like that? Uh, no, no disrespect to that. <laughs> I mean, because I know people love it. I used to do it when I was little up in Minnesota, and we'd go to Nebraska in the summer, you know, and catch catfish. And so <clears throat> it's just a different world down there. Um, you know, like my dad comes over in the backyard. You know, we've got green lights. You know, in Boca and you know, there's catfish all over the place. And you don't want catfish when you fish. Like, you're trying not to catch catfish. Yeah. He's used to Nebraska where they were actually trying to catch catfish. <laughs> but it's a little different world down there. Basically, the fish that you catch up here are about the size of the bait that you use down there. You have a favorite fishing story, favorite fishing exploit from, from when you've gone deep sea fishing? Um, I, I don't know that I have a favorite favorite one there. I, I really enjoy tarpon fishing when they're running down there. Um, you know, they're just so big. I mean, you're talking about catching 160-pound fish, you know, and, and um, you know, that they're, they're so hard to find them, and then, um, and then to, to catch them, you know, and even though you can't bring them in the boat, and you don't eat them, obviously, um, just an amazing fish. Do you have any conversations with Mike Leach to this point? Uh, Mike texted me yesterday and asked if there which is which is I can totally see Mike doing this, and sure enough, he did. They ask about um, private aircraft, pri- private flights, and private aircrafts, and did I have it in the contract, and and what do most coaches get? And <laughs> 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 he he's he's figuring out it's 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 kind of hard to get to Key West here. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. A little, little, not exactly a commercial from Startville to Key West. Well, hey, I know, uh, I know we've kept you, uh, we've kept you long enough. I really appreciate your time. Look forward to uh, getting to talk to you again soon. All right, guys, have a good one. Appreciate the time. Thanks. Thanks to Lane for giving us a little bit of time yesterday. Again, that was pre-recorded yesterday morning. We're gonna jump back in the phone lines in a second. Before we do that, I will tell you about Community Mortgage, Oxford, Memphis, Soto County, and Chattanooga. Underwriting and processing is done in Memphis. You're getting local underwriting and understand your market. A leader in condo financing, the float down option, and with rates really good right now. Good time to talk to Jason. Take advantage of that at 662-234-2704 or J L O W E at communitymtg.com. 
Our friends at Blue Delta Jeans are excited to announce that beginning this week, pre-orders will begin for the return of Duck Canvas. Longtime Blue Delta Jeans clients will remember this durable, long-lasting fabric. It'll be back in stock by popular demand very soon in canyon brown, green, gray, and navy. At 10.5 ounces, this Georgia milled fabric will provide you with the ultimate American-made pant that is nearly unbreakable. For more information or to place your orders today, go to BlueDeltaJeans.com or reach out to Blue Delta Jeans on social media. Don't forget tomorrow's Valentine's Day. The Oxford studio will be open by appointment only, so call ahead, schedule your fitting time, and Blue Delta Jeans will have the champagne and strawberries ready for you and your loved one on the big day. Uh, the Ole Miss baseball team kicks off its 2020 campaign at Swayze this weekend as they host a three-game series versus Louisville. General admission tickets are available by visiting OleMissTicks.com. The uh, Ole Miss women's tennis team on Saturday, 3 p.m., they take on Samford. As always, admission is free. For more information, visit OleMissSports.com. And the Ole Miss women's hoops team back in the pavilion on Sunday as they host a pink out versus Arkansas. That game begins at 2. Tickets can be purchased by visiting OleMissTicks.com. We are also brought to you by Dead Soxie, and Dead Soxie, just like you, loves new recruits, and they know once you join the Dead Soxie team, it's over for all the other brands out there. That's why they give you an incredible opportunity to make the switch to a better sock life. Uh, for Valentine's Day, they're offering three select red-style socks at the incredibly low price of $5. There are no excuses for not giving them a try. Additionally, for those of you looking to add to your sock wardrobe, Dead Soxies offering three different style mystery boxes of 10 pairs for just $60 each. The Rebel Grove promo will not apply to these special offers, but can still be redeemed on all other purchases made on the site for 30% off. With their patented technology to prevent that dreaded slippage, it's time you joined the winning team with Dead Soxy. It's time to ask yourself, are you Soxy? Podcast is brought to you by In-House Interior and Design. I've been telling you about a 20% off promotion to anyone who calls and secures services, including commission or one-of-a-kind artwork. Design services include new furniture, new lighting fixtures or lamps, rugs, remodeling, really whatever to uh, add a little equity to your home or give us a great and unique gift for potentially cheaper than some of that jewelry or different things you would purchase and also it comes with a uh, with another gift as well including a gift package that's delivered into a new client along with samples and a calendar with available dates and times for the client to choose what works for them with the portfolio beautifully wrapped and delivered anywhere in the United States so you'll have something for that special day again they have 30 years of combined uh, experience and uh, and service there with 662-681-6241 is the phone number also on Main Street in Tupelo or in Booth 34 Sugar Magnolia in Oxford. Now we'll jump back to the phone lines and we'll talk to Jeffrey Wright. Jeffrey, good morning. I'm just kind of curious. Does an does an engagement get you out of Valentine's Day tomorrow? Does it lessen it? What's our what, what's our plans for uh, for Friday? She'll Aaliyah, close your ears. So we she she snipped this out about three weeks ago because I know y'all find this hard to believe, having worked with me for three four years. Um, I was not aware that. Valentine's Day was on a Friday. So uh, she sniffed this out three or four weeks ago. We're actually going to do we're going to do Valentine's Day tonight because we didn't really want to do the prefix menu. A Friday night Valentine's Day seems miserable. So she was all over that. We booked a table at Andrew Michael for um, honestly like three weeks ago. So we are we're, we're doing everything today. So um. I wouldn't necessarily say it 
gets me out of Valentine's Day, but I also don't feel, with everything that's going on, I do not feel a tremendous obligation to deliver here, if you will. Crowds don't bother me. We've talked about this. It's the, it's the prefix menu that make me avoid nights like this. Yeah, because the, like as long as you have the table, like to me, it's it's two things. It's not the crowds. It's the prefix menu, and it's just waiting. Like it's just when everything becomes a longer, drawn out process. That's when I'm just like, okay, this is this is not fun. Do you think you wait longer because you also don't have big tables? Uh, yes. Okay. I I, I I just think you wait longer because it's everything's just backed up. Like it's just you have it's like traffic. There's just more people in the same area. Yeah, this is the one that I think. Valentine's is the day is the one where I think you get you, you understand what couples are kind of saying and doing what when they can figure this out and you go okay let's do it on Thursday let's next next week I mean we opened the Lane Kiffin interview with the same thing what do you think about Valentine's Day and it's hey you do a different day it's the it's the the no ability to compromise when you look at a couple and go whoa now we got some issues here we got something else going on yeah and, and at no point did she say you know it has to be February fourteenth and she, it's, I, I'm lucky too in that. You know, I've I've told y'all our birthdays are like ten days apart, and so her idea is rather than, you know, rather than have to celebrate, you know, individually, we usually pick a day in the middle and kind of do a, a combined thing. So it's sensible. She she on the on the scale of rational, she is on the right side of it. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> You know, Chase knows what I'm about to say. You you know what? On a curve because, you know, hormones. Valentine's Day to me is a day, and it's like most other days, it's a day to completely avoid Facebook. I mean, just to not go near it, to not not approach it. I've said this. Valentine's Day is not a holiday. It is a test. (laughs) Well, I openly, I openly out loud admit I'm not doing anything for Valentine's Day. I mean, I'm, I'm just not. If it, 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 I, I feel about Valentine's Day probably the way I feel about a lot of the other Hallmark holidays. It's, it's, it's disingenuous. If, 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 it, only, if it requires holiday is is uh, St. Patty's Day, correct? Like it's yeah, not that's, for, and that's it, fine. Yeah, yes. Let's hey, let's that's an excuse. Let's go have some beers. Yes. It's kind of like Cinco de Mayo. You know, we're all Americans. Hey, why not celebrate Mexican independence by getting some beers? I mean, I'm good for that. But when you start doing the thing about, okay, well, here's the thing. If, If it requires a holiday for you to tell the person that you're with, hey, I appreciate all you do for me. If it requires a holiday to do that, well, then you probably ought to reevaluate where you are. And then the other thing is, and, and, you women out there, you got to admit, I'm right. What I'm about to say, I'm right. There's so much, hey, make sure you send it to me early enough in the day so that I can take a picture of it and put it out on the internet as my braggadocious thing. So I can say, oh, look what my sweetheart gave me. I can't stand that. It drives me absolutely be, insane. Also, not only does it have to be early enough to get it out on, on social media, it also has to be early enough so it can be staged so that you can also get the snap off, you can get the Insta off, you can get... Yep. Uh, the the company like there has to be multiple it's a, it's a drawn out process so it's a production so obviously a a, a full production takes time what like, else do you put in this category do you put Mother's Day in this category a little bit a little bit if it if it requires a day for you to tell your mother oh, how much you appreciate her like I, I think I think my mother seriously I think my mother would far more appreciate me 
taking her to dinner on a, a random Thursday and saying, hey, I just want you to know I appreciate how much you've done for me as opposed to doing it on Mother's Day because everybody well, else I think that's most people. That yeah, they'd much rather the random gesture than the, hey, I have a day for this. Yeah. It's obligatory at that point. Yeah. It's like, hey, I'm giving you this card because the calendar says today's the day I should give you this card. I just love the I love the stark contrast between Mother's Day and Father's Day. Mother's Day is like a a big production and an event, yeah. and Father's Day is literally the greatest thing you could give your dad is just leave him alone. Yeah, give me an hour. Can, can he just watch the back nine of the U.S. Open yeah. in peace? Just, 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 yeah. And if you want to sit up there and watch it with him, <laughs> fine. But you better be rooting for whoever he's rooting for, and don't talk. Yeah, and just don't talk. And if you're gonna if you're gonna speak up, it better be funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, just 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 let me go watch the Cubs blow yeah, a two just, run. Just, let uh, me go watch the Cubs blow a two run lead to the Dodgers in peace. And 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 just when I come down and go, they suck. Just say, yeah, they do. Leave me alone. I, that's Happy Father's Day. I'm good with that. And I, I gotta, you gotta believe most people are in that boat, but no one's willing to admit that because like, there's a thread on our board. Hey, I'm trying to win this girl's attention or whatnot. It's Valentine's Day. What do I do? There's there's nothing you can do. Like it, so there's no so, there's not a great uh, like a grand romantic gesture that's going to make her go. You know what? All of a sudden, yeah, I really, I really, I really would like to hook up with him. Because you think she decided in the first ten seconds. Yes. Yes. And if it requires that, well, you say, don't want I, that again, ride. Maybe, listen, I'm sure there's an exception to every rule, but in my experience, every relationship I've ever been, it's been clear from the beginning. Didn't have to change change opinions and change dynamics over months. Nope. There was there was. I, it did not matter how I presented myself one way or the other, and I've tried it every which way. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I mean, I, I've. I mean, Laura knows, for example, that if she were to get on Facebook tomorrow and write some ode to me, it would be met with anger. I mean, like if you feel that way about me, say it to me in private. It's that's between us. It's it's not not about anybody else. I mean, it, the the whole world doesn't need to know all that. No, I, I'm I'm in complete agreement. I mean, I don't know if I've said it on this show, but I, I've told y'all, I knew Aaliyah was the one right off the bat because our first date, I didn't have to talk, and it was awesome because uh, there's nothing worse than when you have to feel like you have to carry the entire conversation on yeah. a first. Date. It's awkward. I got to be on the the other end of it where she got to talk. She's doing the interviewing and whatnot, and that's so much more comforting. Didn't help that she's attractive, or which didn't it, hurt. Which is kind of interesting, too, because, I mean, a little bit of a podcast, which kind of kind of knew you a little bit anyway, sort of. I mean, had a general idea. Oh, it's... Uh, listen, there's a difference between... A human being in our business when the red light's on oh, yeah, and the yeah, yeah. being the human being who <laughs> literally wants to do nothing but sit on the couch, play four games of Madden with the with two NBA games on in the background. And that's that's a different human being than what happens when a red light goes on and you are literally in the entertainment business. Well, they yeah. say, yeah, like you want people to connect with you, don't get me wrong, but there's a huge disconnect on, hey, this is what I'm like 24 hours a day. No, 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 no. I mean, you know, that's why I don't even remember what I say half the time. Everybody goes, hey, yeah, you know, you did whatever. I don't know. Sure. No, my, my favorite is, 
uh, hey man, I love what you said the other day. And I'm like, <laughs> the other day. Then yes. they have to. With, then they have to tell you, and I go, yeah, it sounds like something I'd say. Well, I, mean, I even had that last night, and I'm, I'm going to try to answer the guy, but I got a DM last night. The guy goes, hey, you mentioned a bottle of bourbon the other day. What what was that? And I'm like, dude, I, I mean, no offense, but I don't know. Uh, I've, I've done two bourbon podcasts since then. I've, I've mentioned a lot of bourbon. And I think it was Neil and I talking about Eagle Rare, but I'm, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. So I've, uh, uh, yeah, uh, that's the same thing. It's like, hey, yeah, what was that, what was that thing you were talking about the other day? Are oh, we, yeah. uh, being that you're the president of the fan club and have the bag, are you uh, are, are you wishing Rory had engaged, kept going this a little bit, or are you glad he's just shutting up and, and moving on with his day? Um, we're focused on Augusta. Okay, we're yeah. we're, we're on a one track mind. Okay, I mean, don't have time for distractions and and kept. No, I mean, at this point in at this point in our career, it, it's all about one thing and one thing only. It's the green jacket. If you look at it, pretty much he's won every other major event. You know, for, forget the other three. He's won all the other three majors, but he's you know, almost every WGC he's won. He's won the FedEx Cup twice, Player of the Year multiple times. We've got all the accolades. It is about, it is about the career Grand Slam. It's all that matters. So we're on to Augusta. Why does he have a closing problem? I was telling Blair this the other day. He's, he's a front runner, man. And if you look at, other than Jack, almost every other great player that wins majors even tiger the masters last year was tiger's first ever come from behind victory in a major championship most of them are just front runners and i think he's such a he's such like a momentum guy because i do think his swing his swing is less technical it's more feel than you know tiger's swing while powerful was still a you could tell it was robotic technical it was a it was beautiful in its prime, but you could tell it, it was not based on everything has to be going right for me to for me to be swinging it well. And the other difference with Rory is oftentimes if you're going to come from behind, you got to make a ton of putts, and that ain't us. We are we are from 250 out. We're going to put that bad boy on the green on all par fives, uh-huh. comfy two putts, get those birdies, and move on. Not big on the four footer, so. not, not 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 our thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, go ahead. You got something new? What are the Astros going to say today? Uh, are bad. Altuve and Bregman are going to the podium. Supposedly, is that right? Altuve and and Bregman and the owner and Dusty Baker is going to sit there and if he's smart, just chew his toothpick and say nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know I what mean, I find fascinating is I think they'd be far better off to just own it right now. They they keep getting asked questions Bregman about Bill it anyway. Like Bregman Bregman looks like a prick. Like he is a villain. They should just own it. Yeah, just say, yeah, we did it. <laughs> I mean, the they the the one thing no, that blows me what they get the buzzer question and they refuse to answer it, and the refusal to answer is is a guilty verdict. I mean, yeah, of course you were wearing he was wearing a buzzer. Well, the answer that they gave, like, remember, remember when it was like a week or so after, and and they they put Altuve and Bregman with a mic, and they did the. Oh, we're not here to talk about that. Here, we're going to win a championship this year. That's exactly what you would say if you're wearing a buzzer. Yeah, I love Gary Sanchez's quote, the Yankees catcher, when he said, 
you know, he asked, do you think he was wearing a buzzer? He's, I don't know. I, I do know this. If I hit a, a, a home run to send my team to the World Series, they can rip my pants off. Yes. I, I mean, you know. Now, I will also say this. I do not think that only the Red Sox and the Astros were stealing signs. Oh, no, I don't either. I don't either. But it's very clear that what the Astros were doing was pretty brazen. When you look at how many teams around the league were beginning to openly complain. The Astros appeared to be an organizational. That is a good question. Do we think anybody else was using technology to steal signs? Probably. Was anybody else using it in a program that was from the top implemented down? I don't know. What what do y'all think about A.J. Hinch? Because when I first read the report, again, somebody there's got to be there's got to be some type of accountability. I get that. I actually I, believe he was telling the truth in this most recent interview. And well, the report basically said. You know, it was just so overwhelming that, you know, he tried to stop it. But at that point, it was like, hey, old man, uh, F off. (laughs) Well, it also gives you a glimpse into what a major league clubhouse often looks like. It's very cliquish. It's it's uh, anyone that's played on a baseball team knows that as if you had a baseball team that had, you know, pitchers only and you just see clicks develop. Yeah, and then you get into the bigs and you throw in the number of Hispanic players, players that yeah. struggle to speak English. Um, and I'm not criticizing that. I'm just saying there that creates it creates a division. If you go and hang with who you're comfortable with, and then when you start doing that, yes, clicks develop. Yeah, and so Beltron started doing that. He was this immensely popular player on this team, especially among the the Hispanic players. And it takes off, and Hinch is this guy who's the manager, but they don't, they don't really respect him yet. And he's trying to, he's trying to win that respect, and he wants them to like him and all of that stuff. And when he tries, I think at some point to sort of, kind of test out whether he can stand up to Beltron, it's met with the, "Hey man, get out of here." Hey, hey man, the adults are talking. Yeah, and and so he shuts up, and then once it gets going for a while, there's no stopping it. Very clearly owned it, and and I mean, you look at the the data that's out there, and some of the people who have done this research and put the data out, it's just it's so damning. If we were talking about this on the show the other day, when a, a hitter the caliber of Bregman, forget the person, just the the athlete, the hitter, he's always been a great player. When he knows what's coming, eighty percent of the time, he's unstoppable. I don't know. I'm just I don't know. Part of this was. Part of this was maybe some some confirmation bias, but no matter what, I just have I had long felt. Uh, listen, I don't I don't have any feelings one way or the other to the city of Houston to the Astros organization. If anything, I remember reading this article about AJ Hinch when he was at Stanford, and I really liked AJ Hinch. So if anything, like I kind of would have been inclined to to root for them, and just watching them play, I'm just like I hate this team. They suck. I can't stand them, and I don't know. Like this was this was one of those nice little moments where it's like, you know what? Just trust your gut. Like if if something doesn't if if something doesn't pass the smell test, that doesn't make you that doesn't make you a cynic. It being skeptical and cynical are two different things. And this was this was a nice little yeah. I'm just gonna keep on going. Two uh two minutes or so left. You got any thirty thousand feet view of Ole Miss basketball or the start of baseball season? Either one. 
I will say this, and I, I'm curious to get Neil's take. Man, there's about four games that they're going to be kicking themselves over, aren't there? Oh, yeah. Oh, God. And, and literally, as the, as the thing unwinds more and more, the, the double overtime loss to Auburn, just more and more, is just you look at it and go, oh, my God. If they'd won just that one game, we're having a different conversation. But a loss to A&M, the loss to Arkansas, and I realize Arkansas now is not as good as it was when Arkansas Well, had. yeah, I mean, when you take off the, the lottery player, yeah, it turns you, out. Yeah, you take off a, a guy who's going to go in the middle of the first round and Isaiah Joe, of course they're not going to be as good. And he was really good that night in Oxford, and that was the reason they won the game. But still, that's a game you should have won at home. You just... You know, forget the LSU loss at home, although it was tough. Forget the loss at Tennessee. That's fine. No one cares. Forget even the loss at home to Butler, although that's one that you would circle and go, boy, it would be a different deal. The loss at Memphis, where I think they were a little intimidated by Memphis, and now you look at Memphis, and I know there have been injuries and stuff, but you go, you could have won that game. There was so much out there that they left on the table that, yeah, I think at the end of the year, especially if this thing kind of goes by chalk, you know, where they lose in Lexington and maybe they lose to Auburn, but they win the rest of the games and they end up sort of 8-10 and 10 in the league or something like that. Yeah, I think they're going to look at just a couple of games and go, oh, my God, we, we would have been a tournament team. Yeah, I mean, that's when, when Chase asks what's the 30,000-foot view, to me that's, that, that's it. I will say this, um, you know, what Tyree did in the second half was, needless to say, absurd. Brian doesn't get enough credit for the, the 50 points on three assists. That shows you how hot they were. Yeah. Well, they played, they kind of played his basketball too. They played that, that zone of his for the, one of the first times this season was not only effective, it, you could see the state kids. And I think state's a good team. I mean, I've watched them this year. They're a good team. I, this whole, oh, they suck and whatever. No, they don't. No, they don't. They, they don't suck. They're, they're pretty good. And that was the first time this year that someone threw something at them that not only did it confuse them, but they got rattled. Uh, I mean, they were throwing passes into the stands. They were, they were guessing that the Ole Miss kids were going were gonna to jump a passing lane and either making just horrific passes into the stands or throwing it right into that passing lane or, or trying to overthink it. And they're making these really – they credit to Kermit and them. I mean, and then – what I was going to say is I don't know, and it's, pr pr it's probably because people like me haven't written it enough. I don't know that we give Brian enough credit for how much he's grown up in, in the last three years. He, he had a reputation early in his career for being kind of pouty, for being really selfish, and um, not anymore. The other night I thought was his. I thought it was the shining moment of his career so far because he, he came out when they needed him badly with two fouls and down 13 in trouble at home he came out and, and for just a few minutes put them on his back got other guys involved he kind of kept getting Devonte to get going and then Devonte had a phenomenal second half and i'll be honest man i'm interested to see what happens saturday i i don't think they go to rup and win but if you told me today if the basketball gods came down and said that is a that game is up for grabs in the final two minutes and Ole miss has a chance I'd buy it. And if they steal one at Rupp, throw the narrative out. All of a sudden, you have to start talking about them as having a real opportunity to play their way into the tournament. Who you, uh, who you got on this afternoon, Jeff? So today, 
Eric Hasseltine joins us. Of course, the the big story of the night, the the Grizzlies were were huge for us. So thanks be to John Morant. Yeah. The prince that was promised. He's made them a compelling story. I've got a beer garden coming out um, in a little bit. I talked to Siku Smith yesterday, and mm-hmm. um, we talked to Kobe Bryant and a lot of stuff, but we talked about Morant and the Grizzlies. And, and he – he compared them, Jeffrey, if you uh, if you want to talk about this, listen to it later. It was at the very end of the interview. He compared them to the young Thunder. He said, I'm not sure they're quite as athletic. No, or that they are. It's very similar in that your, your Westbrook-type player is Morant and your Durant-type player is Jackson. Obviously, the kind of the roles are reversed where Westbrook's probably the Robin to Durant's Batman. And yeah. uh, right now, Jackson is is the Robin to Morant's Batman. But, uh, I mean, they're built very, very similarly. He made a couple of really interesting points, I thought. One was that he, he talked about the Grizzlies' culture, how they've really kind of uh, revamped it, made it far more positive for the players. And then the other thing, he talked about how for Morant, the fact that Morant is this uniquely Southern player playing in a city that you know is uniquely Southern – kind of makes that a, a storyline that, that would be more compelling than if Morant were this lottery pick that had played at Duke or North Carolina or Kansas or something. No, I, I completely agree on all accounts. Yeah. Have a good day, bud. Thanks, to Jeffrey, right, for joining us today. We'll go uh, to Blake Lavelle in a minute, and we'll talk some college basketball. If we do that, I'll tell you about G&M Pharmacy and Tyson Drugs, G&M, right there on South Lamar in Oxford, 662-236-2222. Is the phone number flu shot still available with zero dollar copay on most insurance plans? Not to wait in line or anything. They'll get you out as quickly and painlessly as possible. They also uh, deliver local to your home or workplace. Just make it easy on you with everything that they do, including MedSync to fill your prescriptions the same day every single month to take care of you. Again, that's G and M Pharmacy six six two two three six two 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 two. Good night. Um, sorry, I was reading something. I'll tell you about it in a second. Uh, the the podcast also brought to you by Nest and Wild. Sleep better with a Nest and Wild mattress. Nest and Wild's a Mississippi-based mattress company making a high-quality mattress delivered right to your door. They make buying a new mattress easy. Every Nest and Wild mattress is one foot thick, American-made. Pricing is uh, incredible. It made even better by the podcast discount. It's a no-risk decision. Nest and Wild believes in their product so much that they are offering a 99-night trial on every mattress. Try it out. Sleep on it for 99 nights. If you don't like it, you can return it. Go to nestandwild.com. Order your mattress and use the podcast code REBEL20. Get 20% off your purchase. It'll arrive at your door in three to five days. We published a Mind on My Money podcast last night that's brought to you by Pinnacle Trust. Pinnacle Trust, based in Madison, Mississippi. It's also home to the Pinnacle Trust 401k advisory services team. If your 401k, your company 401k is not performing the way that you would like it to, they'll conduct a complimentary no-obligation benchmarking and analysis of your current 401k plan. Mention that you heard about Pinnacle Trust on the podcast. Get 10% off your first year's fees. It's uh, pintrust.com. Podcast also brought to you by the Weston Jackson. It's Marriott property located in downtown Jackson. It's home to Soul Spa and also home to Estelle Wine Bar and Bistro. Again, that's the Weston Jackson in downtown Jackson. If you are uh, looking for a travel agent, I get this text DM all the time. Hey, Neil, what's the name of that travel agent you guys use? It's John Edwards, Regency Travel Incorporated in Memphis, and he does amazing work. We have so many people who have used him who have been thrilled with the results that they got. And all they did was they called him, they gave him a uh, 
kind of an idea of what they wanted to do. They gave him some parameters. They gave him a budget. And then they sat back. A couple days later, they had options. Lots of options, options that you won't find on your own on the Internet. And no, you don't have to live in or near Memphis to take advantage of his services. 901-494-3387 or send him an email, jedwards at regencytravel.net. First-time clients can save $50 off their first booked trip just by telling John you heard about Regency Travel on the podcast. So now we will uh, jump back in the phone lines. We'll talk to Blake Lavelle, again, a podcast host, uh, contributor to Blue Ribbon Yearbook as well, that podcast, Marching to Madness. Let's go now to Blake Lavelle. Blake, thanks so much for the time. I know this is a weird day to tape a college basketball podcast because for the people that hear this, they'll hear it on Thursday and it's Wednesday, which means games are getting played tonight that would impact what you might say. So (laughs) I'll ask some big picture stuff. And then I'm going to get into Ole Miss a little bit because they did play last night and looked really good. And and they suddenly have, I don't know if they're back in the conversation, but they've given themselves, as I've written earlier today, they've given themselves sort of a a treacherous road to take but a road nonetheless that would let them get into the conversation so maybe we'll start there first how are you yeah no doing well neil you're right it's uh it's been a crazy season in the sec and you know it's funny because people ask me you know all the time now it's like well how's the sec or how's the ncaa tournament picture going to shake out i'm like i don't know man i could see you know three teams getting in i could see six teams getting in and the problem is I feel pretty good about who those three are going to be, but who those six are, you know, from this pack of seven or eight that could potentially make a run here, who knows? Yeah, you know, Blake, going into the season, I was the idiot. It's all my fault. I was the idiot that said (laughs) there's going to be a team from the SEC with the sub-500 mark in the league that would get into the tournament. I'm clearly going to be wrong. Um (laughs) You know, unless someone wins it in Nashville, at which point I can say, "See, I told you." But, um, <laughs> but I, I thought the league would be would be better than it than it has been. And yet, on the flip side, and I'm usually not the guy that does the defend the SEC thing. I'm usually the guy that says the SEC should shut up. It's too much self hype and yeah. all that. I think it's actually this year better in terms of depth than it is getting credit for. Yeah, and I don't disagree with that. And I'll tell you, I was probably one on the other side. And and people were probably wondering, well, this guy, me, is someone who's been sort of hyping up the SEC in basketball for several years now. I was the one that came in saying, all right, I've done this for several years, but let me just tell you, I don't think the SEC is going to be as strong, especially one through five, than it was last year. I mean, the one through five we saw last year was pretty good, and you you know you can certainly make the case that all five of those should have, in some way, found a way you know to get to the second weekend of the tournament. That didn't happen, but uh, this year, like you're saying, I think it's more of a you've got some good teams at the top, but you've also got so many other teams from top to bottom that, like we're saying, could still make runs here. And that's what makes it so interesting to me is because there is that, you know, huge wide range of how many teams could eventually get in because, as we're saying, I mean, Ole Miss is the perfect example to me. I mean, they're sitting here at 4-7 and seven in, in the conference, and they're 13-11 overall, but they're doing what you need to do if you're in that spot in terms of maybe finding your way back into the conversation they're beating you know teams that that will give them quality wins and that's what it's all about at this point you just have to be able to get these quality wins you know the the quad one quad two all that that's what we're starting to look at how it affects the net rankings and all those different aspects and i think the thing is with the sec teams 
you just don't know who's going to show up on a nightly basis. You don't know who's going to, you know, be there. I think Florida, South Carolina, teams like that are perfect examples. But really from top to bottom, now that we've seen Vanderbilt beat LSU, uh, that just kind of shows you what kind of season it's been. Let's talk about Ole Miss a little bit. They they started the season with real high hopes. Uh, they were talking about the tournament. Uh, they they got off to an okay start. They had a missed opportunity at Memphis, especially looking back on it. Memphis is is probably could spend a lot of time talking about Memphis, but we, <laughs> we, we won't. That, that's an interesting story in and of itself. Ole Miss probably let one get away there. They got a big win against Penn State, uh, looked terrible in a loss to Oklahoma State, had a real shot against Bay, uh, Butler in a game that came down to the the you know final minute or so and couldn't pull it off and then they got they went to Wichita and and got popped but a lot of teams go to Wichita and get popped yeah and then they go into league play and I don't know what happened and I I'm sure Kermit Davis lays in the bed sometimes and tries to figure it out they blow a double digit lead at A&M they come home blow a double digit lead to Arkansas and in hindsight, man, you could just give them those two games, nothing else, mm-hmm. change nothing but those two games. We'd be having a different conversation. But then they let it spiral. They they got beat by LSU, and I don't have the schedule in front of me. You think, yeah, I do. I was gonna say you think I'd have it memorized by now. They, they they got beat by LSU, and then they went to Tennessee and got popped, and uh, they lost at Florida. Before so before you know it, you're zero and five in the league, and then it, you're one and seven in the league, and they look left for dead. And now they've won three games in a row, and they've done it in really impressive fashion. They appear to have sort of found themselves. They they kind of clock South Carolina. They they really beat Florida handedly, and then last night against Mississippi State, they just as uh, as uh, Eddie Haskell used to say, he kind of gave them the business. You know, I mean, and yep. I don't know what to think of them now. But here's the reality: they're four and seven. So here's the question: I know you're not on the on the committee, whatever, but. If you had to put a number on it, is there a number that if Ole Miss got to in terms of conference wins that you'd say, well, they've got a chance if they make some noise in Nashville? I think that the better probably thing to look at for me would be, let's say they get to a number. Let's say they were to, I don't know, I don't even know what the best number would be say, at this point. Say they get to 9-9 nine and nine or 10-8. Ten and, ten and eight. Yeah, okay. So, so let's say they do get to 9-9 nine and nine or 10-8. and eight. I think in that scenario – what that would need to include, and it would have to include this based on their remaining schedule, you know, you're probably getting a couple wins in there against a, you know, potentially a Kentucky, although as we're saying, that's going to be hard to do. Um, You know, you have Auburn, you have Mississippi State. And that's the thing is those are going to be the three biggest games that would impact their their NCAA tournament resume in the in the positive way. Um, and And like we're saying, the problem is that all three of those games are all on the road. And so, it makes it a bigger challenge, um, you know, where Alabama's at by the time they play, whatever, a week and a half from now, I don't know. And and you could be having a different conversation about Alabama. Let's say they go out and win both these games this week against Auburn LSU. Highly unlikely, but if they do that, Alabama's instantly back into the NCAA tournament picture. Then that's another one where Ole Miss looks ahead to that one and says, okay, that could also give us a, a pretty considerable yeah. bump. Yeah. Yeah, and so that – I think it's going to be fascinating, and it is. It's more fascinating than people think uh, with this team specifically because of that remaining schedule. And then at that point, you know, let's say you're able to get, uh, let's just say, of that group of four, if you can get three of those, then I think we're having that conversation, even if they finish 9-9, nine and nine, where you're saying, okay, 
Well, they get three more of those. They've beaten Florida. They've beaten Mississippi State. Um, the one against Penn State certainly looks really good right now. Um, so you go up and down a list, and you're saying, okay, well, they, they have the quality wins. Then you're going into the SEC tournament, and we're having a conversation about Ole Miss potentially you know, winning their way into a bid. So it is. I mean, it, the more you look at it, and it's not just for Ole Miss. It's for a lot of other teams in the SEC. But I think Ole Miss's biggest positive they have right now is the fact that you know they've added two good wins here against Florida and Mississippi State. And they do have the opportunities available uh, to where they could play themselves in a position to, to be in that discussion. What would it take if I told you, if I, the basketball gods came down and said, hey, Blake, Ole Miss beats Kentucky <laughs> in, in Lexington on Saturday, what would you immediately think happened? I would say that you've probably found a way to force Kentucky into taking 35 threes, um, you know, putting Nick Richards somehow away from the basket and doing your best that way. Because I think that's how, you know, you probably have a good chance of beating Kentucky. And by the way, you could also throw in another 40-point game by bringing Tyree wouldn't hurt. Yeah, those uh, all, those always help, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that wouldn't hurt either. So, uh, but, but I think that's the biggest deal is, you know, for Ole Miss, they've been a better defensive team than they have, let's say, a consistent offensive team outside of Bree and Tyree at times. Um, but I, that's what it's going to come down to. I just think they have to be able to, to push Kentucky – into taking bad shots, uh, you know, the, the Florida scenario, where Florida, I think, has been a little bit more of an inconsistent offensive team than Kentucky has. But, you know, they, they made Florida do things Florida did not want to do and then held them to 51 points. Um, and the thing is, too, with this, you know, Kentucky Kentucky isn't exactly a team that's going to just run it up and down the court and be, you know, an Alabama-esque type of team that's just going to push the pace, get a shot up in 14 seconds, uh, and get out of there. I mean, they, they're going to sort of be methodical at times, and I think that's exactly what Ole Miss would need to be. I mean, a lower possession type of game, uh, how you rebound, but a lot of things have to go right to, to win and run. But, uh, yeah, th- th- those are probably a few of the things they would need. The, the three teams I, I would assume you think are locks for the tournament, I, th- I agree with you, Kentucky, LSU, Auburn, they all look the part yep. right now. Uh, Auburn's number one in Ken Palm and luck, which is a weird thing to, <laughs> to judge. You know, I saw it in Oxford not so long ago. They won in double overtime. They just find ways to win. and I don't know how much of that is luck and how much of that is just uh, revelatory yep. of a character of a team, of a, of a will of a team. Bruce is obviously a very good coach. They've got talent. They they went to the Final Four a year ago. I mean, they know how to win, and they're winning. When you look at that Auburn, do you see a, a team that is uh, flirting with disaster, or do you see a team that says, no, no, we, we just know how to get this done? Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's just a team that knows how to win um, because the fact is, you know, luck plays a factor in, I mean, a lot of different things. <laughs> you know, and on a lot of these teams throughout the season, there are ups and downs, and, um, you know, it just happens sometimes. You play some of these wild games, and the way I see it is, you know, of all the wild games Auburn has played this season, they've, they've won them all. And, you know, they've won the games that have just been crazy uh, all over the place, back and forth, comebacks, you name it. They've won all those games. I mean, the two games they lost were essentially, you know, blowout losses at Alabama and Florida. Aside from that, they found a way to win the close games. They found a way to win these overtime games. Uh, I don't see it as flirting with disaster at all. I just think this is a team that you have so many pieces still on that roster of guys who, who played, you know, last year in that Final Four run. And I know we take Jared Harper, Bryce Brown, Chumo Kiki, even the other guys, Horace Spencer, Malik Dunbar, 
they all played, you know, big roles on that team. But then again, you know, so did Samir Dowdy and Javon McCormick and Anthony McLemore and Austin Wiley. And so you're bringing back multiple guys who figured out that, you know, that's what it took to win. This is a different team. It's not the same team as they had a year ago. They don't shoot the threes well. Uh, they don't shoot it well, period. But yet they just find ways to win. And that's where adding these young guys to the mix has just, you know, it's helped them put everything together. And I, and I go back to Bruce Pearl. I know people have different opinions about him, but to me, he's still one of the best basketball coaches in the country, and I just don't think you can deny it at this point when they're sitting here at 21-2 and in a season where people just, for some reason, assume that they may drop off a bit after that Final Four run. I'm going to ask you about three teams that I've seen here pretty recently, Florida, South Carolina, Mississippi State. I've seen them all come into Oxford and play. They all have pretty similar resumes. They're 14-9, and 15-9 in Mississippi State's case. The State's 6-5 and five in the league. The Gamecocks and the Gators, as of this recording, are 6-4 and four in the league. Um, Florida, from a net standpoint, is in pretty decent shape states a little bit behind yeah. them uh south carolina sort of about where Ole miss is in the net of of those three teams which ones do you look at and say i think they're going to end up in the tournament and which ones do you think <laughs> i don't know it's so funny someone asked me this question yesterday and of course naturally i said oh, i think mississippi state's in the best spot and they come out and get beat by 25 uh there in oxford and so i still don't think mississippi state if you just look at schedules i think their remaining schedule at least on paper looks better than some of these other teams in this bubble race and I, so i think their their path to getting a number of wins is really good now their path to getting quality wins, not so great because their two best games that they have left are going to be against Arkansas and Alabama. This is the regular season, and there's no guarantees that either one of those teams are going to make the tournament. As of today, neither one of them probably would be in the tournament. Maybe Arkansas in a last four-end scenario, yeah. uh, but maybe not. Arkansas, and so, Arkansas is playing their way <laughs> out of this thing right now. Yeah, they're, they're going the wrong direction, and I don't know how quickly they're going to be able to turn it around. Um, and so in that that scenario, that's the, that's sort of a good thing for Mississippi State, and it's a bad thing because they could legitimately, let's say, I mean, they're probably not going to win out, but let's say they win, I don't know, six of their last seven. Even in that scenario, their their NCAA tournament resume isn't going to pr- improve a ton just because there aren't really any quali- huge quality win opportunities in there, like we said, unless Alabama makes a move here. Um, so that that could be a good thing could be a bad thing but i think they have the best chance to rack up the wins uh i don't trust florida one bit i don't think i'm ever going to get there with them after being so high on them in the preseason and seeing how up and down they've been of course you can say the same thing about south carolina as much as i like what frank martin's done this year in terms of getting them sort of bounced back from where they were in the non-conference portion I still don't completely trust them. I think they have more depth than people give them credit for. I was going to say, play a fast, I, I, yeah. like, I like them better than Florida. Yeah, and that's what I say. I mean, that's it, it's weird to think about, but you may actually put Florida third in that trio right now because South Carolina's remaining schedule, they've got some tough games, but they get a lot of home games in there. Um, and with Florida, you know, they've still got to play Kentucky twice. They've still got LSU. Uh, I just, I don't know. And I think there is a realistic possibility, which – you know, we talk about the old Miss tie here. I, I think there's a realistic possibility Florida doesn't make the tournament. And in that scenario, I, there's not going to be a seat hotter, you know, probably not just in the SEC, but in the country uh, when it comes to, to Mike White's status, probably. Yeah, it's I'm trying to decide whether I even want to say what I'm about to say. I think, <laughs> oh, why not? I think this time a year ago, 
Mike White was giving real consideration to the Ole Miss job. Yeah. Um, well, t- this time two years ago, I should say, uh, when when Andy was let go, when Andy when Andy stepped down, and it became obvious that that uh, you know, I don't even remember the timing of it. It was right around now when Andy said, "Hey, I'm going to finish the season. Yep. But that's it." And then ultimately he stepped down. But when it became obvious that the Ole Miss job was going to be open, I think Mike gave real consideration to it. And see, that wouldn't be surprising. And I'll tell you because, and we always say this in coaching searches, and you hear people talk about it all the time, is, I mean, you think about who he follows there in Florida. And I said this when he got hired. It's like, you know, the whatever, the golden rule is you never step into a great man's shoes. And it's like, I mean, there, there's no way to step into that scenario in Florida following what Billy Donovan did and winning, you know, back-to-back national championships, um, all, all of those different aspects. There's just there's so much pressure from day one where even in an SEC landscape where things have gotten so competitive from top to bottom in SEC basketball, I mean, we've seen, you know, the coaching hires and stuff over the years here, but even in that scenario, the, the pressure from day one is much different than it is at a lot of these other places, and it hasn't gone away, yeah. and now – you know, the, again, good and bad here. The good is that you came into the season looking like one of the best teams in the country. The bad is that you haven't lived up to it. And knowing that those expectations were already set, um, it puts them in a really interesting spot here moving forward. And like I said, it's just their schedule is not easy the rest of the way. They've got a couple of games coming up here you think they should win against A&M and Vanderbilt. Uh, but but I just I don't know about the Gators getting into the tournament at this point. Yeah, it's a part of me that wonders if he had a do-over if two years ago he would have said, you know, it's, it's unconventional, but – I think I'm going to go <laughs> reset the clock, work for work for people that I know, and all that stuff. I don't know. We'll never know because Kermit Kermit got the job and has yeah. done a bang up job. There's no doubt about it. Um, a team that I really liked a lot just a couple weeks ago, and I think I still do, but they had some injuries and they got a little tweaked, and they kind of had a hiccup right about the time that I thought, here they go, they're about to roll, and that's Alabama. I thought they were getting ready to cruise for a while, and then. You know they they hit a they hit a bump and they've looked better when they when they played Georgia recently and I guess by the time people hear this they will have played Auburn. Um, I don't know what what do you they're they're the definition of bubble right now. Their their nets about a forty, yeah. which is probably on the good side of the bubble, but their records as we record yeah. thirteen and ten, five and five in the league. It's they they their peripherals aren't awesome just yet. Yeah, the the net's something that's helping them more than, than anything because their their strength of schedule is so good. And I think that goes back to, you know, kind of looking at some of the wins they picked up. Certainly Auburn's their best win on the season when they beat them whatever a month ago now, I guess. Um, but but they're lacking in those truly signature wins elsewhere, and that's where a week like this, and like you said, the game will already been played by the time this goes up, but if they were to somehow win at Auburn, and let's say they're able to turn that around and beat LSU, they would instantly be right there in terms of probably being one of the, I don't know, last four in, first four out. Like, they jump right back to that place in line, I think, uh, because th- that would add two huge wins to their resume. Now, the problem is that they don't have Herbert Jones, and with him being out with the injury, I know Nato said, you know, he wouldn't be back this week. What We don't know what else, you know, what the future holds in terms of when he comes back, uh, but he is, I mean, you know, I guess you could say Kyra Lewis and John Petty are one and two, but 
I don't know that I would even put Herbert Jones at number two on that list because he does things for them on defense that they just don't have anyone else that can. I mean, there's no one else that can do what he can do. And he's not just playing defense, you know, guarding some of the best players of the opponents, but he's also rebounding. He's just doing so many things that are problem areas for Alabama overall, but he's been able to make up for it. And not having him on the floor, I know they got that win at Georgia, but like you said, they, they lost three straight before that and really would have loved to have those Arkansas and Tennessee games back because if they won both of those, they'd be in the tournament right now probably. Um, and so it's it's a big stretch here. This week's the most important week of the season for Alabama. They need to win at least one of these. Uh, winning both would be perfect scenario, but uh, if they go 0-2, their schedule is really nice the rest of the way, but their toughest game is going to be against Mississippi State. Elsewhere, you don't really see any potential NCAA tournament teams, like we said, unless Ole Miss were to make a run or South Carolina. So they need to make the most of their games this week. Yeah, their problem with Ole Miss is that they they for Ole Miss to become an NCAA tournament team, Ole Miss has to beat Alabama in all likelihood. Yep. <laughs> and, and if Alabama loses to Ole Miss, they 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 don't help their own case. So they yeah. Uh, Going into the season, Will Wade had this reputation for just being a recruiter. And I, I put that in, in quotes, my words, not yours. <laughs> and this year, I think he's done a hell of a coaching job. But the the scandal still sort of hangs out there a little bit. When you talk to national people or when you talk to people that are around it, do you think he's just going to kind of walk away from this unscathed? Or does this resurface at some point? Well, it's, you know, we went into the season, you heard all the stuff about, you know, everyone getting these, these notices and, and it was going to come eventually. And I mean, I don't know at this point, right? I mean, it's like, we don't know. And I don't know how this plays out because it's, it's one of those where, and we've seen this since this whole thing started, you know, sometimes there have just been those gaps when nothing really happens and we don't really know where it goes next. And so, sure, you could still see a scenario play out, you know, maybe where eventually he's not the coach there anymore or something uh, happens with, with a penalty of some sort. But I guess right now, you know, no one really knows. And I think that's sort of adds that, that uncertainty surrounding, you know, kind of where they're at right now. But, you know, at the end of the day, like we're saying, I mean, he has them playing right here once again with a really legitimate chance to defend their SEC regular season title, and it's not something I expected. I mean, I, I was probably a little bit higher on LSU than some people, but I, I was not I, – I did not think they would win the title. Like, I didn't think they would be in that same scenario. I thought they'd be in the top five for sure, but I didn't see them probably playing as well as they have. Uh, but I think a lot of that credit goes to Skylar Mays because that guy is just – He's been one of the most underrated players, not just in the SEC, but in the country for a couple of years now. And just seeing what he's done this year has been pretty fascinating. And, and, and again, you do have to give Will Wade credit. I mean, if you take the stuff off the court away, um, which I know is not easy to do, if you just look at it from the on-court standpoint, I mean, he's a really good coach, Texas and O's wise, and you've seen them do some things uh, to sort of out, outmatch their opponents at times in some of these close games. And they're another one that's just finding ways to win really close games. And you have to give them credit for that. You do. It's, it's been a hell of a coaching job. He, and he almost yeah. doesn't get credit for it because of the. It's it's ironic. Yeah. The all the other stuff kind of when he does do a really good coaching job, the the other stuff kind of hangs over him. And and a year ago, he got a lot of credit for coaching when I think people looked at it and were like, ah, I don't know if that's what it is. So, yeah, nationally. And I know it's a little early to ask this, but I just want to get your general thoughts. What do you think the bubble will look like nationally in a, in a month? 
Oh, it's going to be fascinating because, you know, there are teams out there that um, you sort of look at and say, well, you know, and we have this discussion every year. It's, it's are these middle-of-the-road power conference teams going to get in or are these, uh, you know, potential two-bid, uh, SOCON, or, or one of these other conferences? Like, how, how does that play out? And that's where I think in a year like this, when we legitimately look at it, you know, you've got the SEC, the ACC, both of those conferences are saying, well, you know, three bids is a realistic possibility potentially for, for both of those conferences, maybe the ACC at four, but like we just don't know. And that's where I think it's going to be fascinating from a committee standpoint is let's say a team like East Tennessee State uh, with Steve Forbes, who's done a terrific job. I think he'll be a head coach in the SEC at some point. I don't know when that's going to be, or maybe another job comes calling before he gets to the SEC. We heard the stuff with Arkansas and such uh, going into this year, but I mean, let's say they're in that spot. I mean, I think they're a team. They wanted LSU. Like, they've got a really good sort of, you know, back. We saw while they played at Kansas. Are they a team that gets in over a Mississippi State or, you know, a Florida in that same position? And that's where I think it's going to be interesting because, you know, the A-10, another one, which is not the same level as the SoCon, but the A-10 is a lot better. Um, you know, how many teams get in from the A-10? Uh, It's just, I don't know how this thing plays out because I tell you, we say this every year, but this is a year where there is just so much uncertainty at the top. There's so much, so many moving parts, uh, not just in the SEC, but for a lot of these other power conferences in terms of the bubble. And that could allow, you know, teams like East Tennessee State or let's say, you know, a team like Liberty or something were to be in a spot where it's at least in consideration. I don't know now if they'd be an at-large team, but there are a lot of cases you can make for some of these mid-majors uh, to maybe be ahead of some of these uh, teams like in the SEC. Well, Blake, I uh, really appreciate the time. Love to visit with you as we get a little closer uh, to, to Nashville and, and to uh, Selection Sunday and kind of see how it all shakes out. Sounds great, Neil. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks to Blake and all our guests for joining us today. Uh, all three, we've got Lane Kiffin, Jeffrey Wright, and Blake Lavelle. We'll uh, finish up the podcast in a couple minutes. Before we do that, I'll tell you about Visit Oxford. VisitOxfordMS.com is the website. The events page gives you everything going on this week and weekend, basically every week and weekend as well. A South Talks lecture today from 11 to 12. That's at the Overby Center. You also got the Black History Month concert tonight. You got baseball this weekend. You got some things going on with Ole Miss Theater and film as well. So, again, check check the website. You'll find something to do. You can also just stop by on Jackson Avenue there in Oxford, just off the square, kind of on the square as well. Um, get a, uh, a welcome bag and more there with Visit Oxford. You got the Oxford Food Tours, OxfordFoodTours.com. You got bus tours starting back soon. The film festival is not far off either. So, again, go to the website and find out all to stay, eat, do, and see for yourself. Let's visit OxfordMS.com. Podcast also brought to you by our friends at Grenada Nissan. If you're in the market for a Nissan vehicle, look no further than Grenada Nissan. They have a complete selection of new and previously owned Nissan vehicles. They've been friends of this podcast, this website, for a long time. They'll be friends with you as well. It's GrenadaNissanUSA.com. Podcast also brought to you by Oxford University Bank. OUB locally owned and operated right here in Oxford. When you deposit money at OUB, that money and the vast majority of the bank's profits go right back into the Oxford community. OUB is home to Casasa. It's the absolute best cash checking account. And with Casasa, OUB will pay customers 2.5% interest on their balances up to $50,000 and refund ATM fees nationwide. They're also home to a commercial checking account now paying 1% interest as long as you keep $10,000 in the account. It comes with fully interactive 
online banking. To learn more, go to liveoxfordbankoxford.com or call 662-234-6668. OUB is FDIC insured. And we're brought to you by Bluff City Advisory Group. They're dedicated to building the future you desire. Founded in Memphis in 2019, their team is comprised of established and seasoned financial experts who came together to serve individuals and families of their beloved hometown. Bluff City Values providing quality advice, experience, and access to all their clients, and they invite an open dialogue beyond your annual review. They believe that everyone deserves financial security, and no matter your level of wealth or financial goal, they will serve as an advocate and guide to grow a portfolio that is fruitful and sustainable for you. It's 901-365-3447 or email ben at bluffcityadvisory.com. So what else would you have for me? So Jim Crane, the uh, the owner of the Houston Astros this morning, okay. says his opinion is that the scandal did not impact the game. We had a good team. We won the World Series. We'll leave it at that. See, I'm of the opinion that Rob Manfred, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, is officially under the gun. You want to win? It's, it's not. It's no longer. I, I know who pays his bills. The owners pay his pay his salary. I get it. It's not even about the players anymore. The players have made their their feelings known, and today the players will be vitriolic in their response. And over the weekend, as as players report to Arizona and to Florida, you're, you're going to hear veteran players speak up. No question in my mind. The the Yadier Molinas of the baseball world are going to speak. It's my opinion. And I think they're going to have a lot to say. And I think it's going to be very negative about the Astros. But this is about fans now. If you if the fans don't believe in your game, and the fans think, oh, so they cheated and nothing happened to them. Fans don't care that A.J. Hinch gets suspended for a year. The fans don't give a damn what happened to the general manager. Nothing's going to happen to Jose Altuve. Nothing's going to happen to Alex Bregman. Nothing's going to happen to uh, uh, the right fielder whose name's escaped me right now. He has Josh Reddick, who tweeted out, ha, ha, ha. Nothing's going to happen to those players. What incentive is there to not do it anymore? Yeah, baseball's long had a credibility problem. It's another thing. and it, 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 Baseball has seemed out of touch for 20 years, and it's another yeah. example of it. That's what it is. I say this. I told You and I talked about this off the, off the air the other day. So I live with a 13-year-old sports freak. He loves sports. He loves sports more than I ever loved sports. And I went into sports writing for a living. He gets up every morning, and he comes downstairs, and he eats his breakfast and watches SportsCenter, like a lot of us did. Yeah, sure. So I asked him the other day, he got in the car, and I was curious, as he went off to school today in his Shea Gilgis Alexander jersey, I said, when you guys at school talk, what do y'all talk about sports? 13-year-old boys. A market that if you're sports, you want to capture. You want 13-year-olds because soon they'll be 18 years old. Yeah, they're all in right now. So get yeah. them. You want to get them now, right? I said, what do y'all talk about? He said, well, everyone talks about the NBA. Most everyone talks about the NFL. And most everybody talks about college football and sometimes college basketball. Sure, yeah. Stands to reason. We live in an SEC town. 
in football season. They talk about SEC football. They talk about NFL football. And all the kids, white, black, and otherwise, talk about the NBA. The NBA is very recognizable. You can see the players, and the NBA does an incredible job of marketing their players. No, Whether you love the NBA or not, you have to give credit. They're as good of a marketer as there is. I said, what about baseball? He said, oh, Dad, I think I'm probably the only baseball fan at school. He said, one other boy, I won't use his name because his parents probably might not want his name out there necessarily. He said, he likes baseball too, and we talk about baseball sometimes. I said, so, but it's not a mainstream topic? Oh, no. I said, so when y'all talk about players, who do you talk about? He's like, in any sport? I was like, yeah. And he goes, well, everybody likes Patrick Mahomes, of course. Everybody likes Lamar Jackson. They talk about Lamar Jackson. Uh, They talk about all the NBA guys that you would think they would talk about. Harden and, you know, they have debates about whether Harden travels or not. They have debates about, you know, who's the best. Is it LeBron? Is it Kawhi? Is it, is it, is it, uh, a lot of them talk about Terrence Davis, of course, because he played at Ole Miss. They talk about the Raptors. and They talk about all the John Morant, Russell Westbrook. They have these debates about these this stuff. We all did. Don't talk about baseball. Chase, when I was 13, when I was 13, 1983, it was a long time ago, we talked about baseball. We still did. It was even less then, but, I mean, even way more than now, though. Yeah, I mean, it's a whole different, it's a whole different game. I mean – so if you if you if you teach the kids that the game's rigged, they're less interested. Well, I mean, I was I was fourteen during the home run chase. Yeah. And after that, you get steroids out, yeah. that whole deal. I mean, yeah. it didn't really affect me, whatever. But yeah, I mean, it's a very similar kind of ish deal. Um, they've they've done all they can do to wreck the sport. Over well, it goes the up last and down. It goes, to, it goes to their social media idiocy, how they pull yeah. off all the highlights and don't let people just talk about don't do not they do not let their game go viral. Nope. It's the damnedest thing. Trevor Bauer, I'd say this all the time. I, I want to hate the Reds because I'm afraid that the Reds are going to win the Central and I'm going to spend the summer cussing them. But I like Trevor Bauer and everything he said the other day was right. Why would you not let highlights go viral? John Morant skies over people and comes down with a dunk. Not only does the NBA let it out, the NBA puts it out. Like, hey, look at this, rising star. Well, baseball puts it out, but they don't do anything else. It has to be from them. They have to collect and collect and collect and collect. They don't let anybody else do it. No, no, no. Mm. And basketball does. The NFL kind of does. And... It's it's just fascinating to me. It really is. And as baseball becomes more and more of kind of a niche sport at the youth level, and it is, bud. You want to play high school baseball at a good program, you got to play travel ball. You got to start you got to pick baseball at about 9 or 10. There's no more organic. Hey, I'm going to go play high school baseball. I'm going to play some football and then I'm going to go play baseball and it'll be fun. And that's over. At the big high schools. You want to play high school baseball at Oxford, for example, you've got to pretty much commit to baseball at about the age of 11 or have the right daddy and then still be committed to baseball at the age of 11. And it's like that at a lot of places. So as the sport becomes more niche and this, and the, at the top level they do less to market it, the sport kind of loses its popularity. This is a, an offshoot topic that we don't have time for today because we're about to close. But, you know, at the college D1 level, I mean, look, 
summer travel ball, that stuff is still primary. It's starting to change up a little bit because some of the main programs in the South that have always been the fillers have kind of broken up a little bit and shifted. There's a little bit of a shift back to high school baseball at the That's very good. top level. It, 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 it's, it, it's gradual, and it's just the beginning. But there is. There's a little bit of a shift going on right now from a, from a high school baseball standpoint. I have found the people that, that fight that, for the most part, I always ask them, and I don't, I don't mean to be an ass about it, but do you have kids? And it's like, uh, well, no, you know, okay, well. Be a little, when you experience it and you live it, it's a little different. You tweeted this out yesterday. The burden of jerking this. Oh, the airplane seat. Yeah, it's it's seventy five twenty five. The guy in the back, right? It is. I mean, I, I've gotten where I, I I put this on the board a little while ago. I would drive ten hours before I'd fly three. I can control my own environment driving. Yeah, I still fly. I'm not a good rider, but. You don't like to drive, if you're honest, because you don't like to put your phone away that no, long. No, because I don't. I have, I've had, oh, I've had okay. four eye surgeries. I, I don't mind driving because I can control what I hear, I, but I can control the environment around me. I never recline. Never. I won't recline if the person behind me is a two-year-old. But if you're at, if you get on a plane and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to relax. I'm going to put my tray down in a minute. I'm going to. I'm going to get a beer or a Coke or whatever. I'm going to get out my laptop. I'm going to get a little work done. And the person in front of you who inevitably, we live in this increasingly obese country, the person in front of you slams their seat back and knocks your computer off and spills your drink and all that. It, it's, it's, I, I don't. I need more information. Did we have any conversation though to be humans here? No, he's not? a jerk. Yeah, he's that, in the wrong. Like that, that's the question. Did did we have any humanity at all in this conversation? I, I tweeted what I really believe here, which is she had every right to recline, and I have every right to judge her a monster. Yeah, that's fine. Um, but no, he he can't do that. Once someone does it, you can't. The only power move that you can make on a recliner. Is to put your knees in their back. Is to cross your legs, if you're tall enough, and I am, cross your legs and put that left knee square into the seat where when they start to push back, they feel resistance. Now, at that point, it's up to them. Are you going to be decent or not? Because now I've let you know without saying a word that you are impeding on my space. Yeah. And if you're insistent on doing it, there's nothing I can do. But the, the number of people that say, well, you know, it's my seat, and it reclines, and I'm going to recline it. Okay, bud. Okay, and that's why I don't fly, if, if I can at all help it. Or, and if you can fly and you can afford it, God, fly first class. Yeah. Give yourself more room. No podcast tomorrow. I've told you that. Be back on, uh, on Monday with a, uh, another one. Appreciate everybody today, all three uh, guests that joined us. Plenty of coverage at as the weekend, the weekend moves along. So have a safe uh, few days. We'll talk to you soon.